Isaiah chapter 40, if you would, verses 25 through 31. Who is your favorite superhero? There's a lot to choose from. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Captain... No, I, I get these mixed. Captain America, Captain Marvel. One's a guy, one's a girl, right? So I think that's how I keep that straight. Black Panther, Spider-Man, Flash, Thor, Iron Man, Pastor Walker... It's a lot of great superheroes out there. But if, if I could give you any superpower that you wanted, what would you want to have as your superpower? I, I surveyed some of my family members and some other people. And you, you got to know flying's got to be right up there. I mean, being able to fly, take off anywhere you want. Telekinesis, you know what that is? It's being able to move objects with your mind, kind of like if you're a Jedi sort of thing. Teleport. Teleportation is be able to think where you want to be anywhere in the world and instantly you're there. That would cut down on travel. Um, super speed, if you're Flash. Super strong, if you're Superman. About any superhero has that almost. Super vision, you can see through things. Super hearing, my wife has that. Um, breathe underwater, if you're Aquaman. I mean, there's a lot of them. But let me tell you this, no matter which ones you come up with, or what if you had all of them? What, um, it would be nothing compared to God power. Uh, that's what our God has, God power. In fact, his power is so great and so limitless that Isaiah, in this text, three times, one of them I read for you in verse 25, but he says it two other times, once in verse 18 and also in chapter 46 and verse 5, a very similar phrase. In other words, you can't compare it to God. Verse 18, to whom? Then will you liken God, or what likeness compares with him? 46.5. To whom will you liken me, God says, and make my equal, and compare that we may be alike? And the answer is rhetor- it's a rhetorical question, which means there is nobody. God has no one that is like him. There's no power that can compare to God power. And the reason why chapter 40 is so crucial, and why that truth is so relevant to them in their day, is because they faced Babylon. And Babylon came in and destroyed them because they sinned against God. And in chapter 40 is a new chapter. The second half of Isaiah tells the story about how God someday is going to bring them out of captivity. He's going to defeat all of their enemies and restore them to where they used to be. And the question they all have is, while they're in exile and while they're in captivity, is does God really have that kind of power? Does God power match up with Babylonian power? Can he really deliver? Can he come through? Can he get us out of captivity? So what Isaiah is going to do for his people so they can stand in awe of his power like he does, he's basically going to take a chapter out of his prophecy and take God's measurements. When I was growing up and I was graduating from college, I was, during my college years, I lived in London because uh, my parents were there, my dad worked there, and there was a place called Geeves and Hawks, and what they did is they would make suits for you. You didn't go in and try them on. You stood up, and you know how they do You stand, in the, in the, and the guy comes, and he measures. You take you know, your sleeves, your waist, your pant length, your suit. I mean, and so my dad, for my graduation present, made me a suit. Had a, a suit made for me, and it was tailored to my exact needs. And what Isaiah wants you to know is that's exactly how God is. God's power 
And his ability and his might and strength is tailor-made, so to speak. Can I say it that way? He's big enough. He's strong enough to handle anyone and anything for Israel, including Babylon. And so perhaps God brought you here this morning because you're facing some what seem to be insurmountable problems of your own. And maybe God brought you here this morning because what he wants you to do while I'm speaking today is to take his measurements. He wants you to get out, as it were, the spiritual tape measure and start measuring how God's, how big he is and how strong he is. And he wants you to leave today knowing this, that there isn't anyone or anything that you face in the 21st century that he isn't strong enough and capable of handling. So even as I'm speaking right now, just stop in your mind and think about some things that you're facing, some problems, some hurdles, some things that you're even thinking while I'm talking. I don't know how I'm going to get through that. I don't know how I'm going to get past that. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to have the answer to that. I don't have the power. And God starts off, Isaiah, with this word, chapter 40, verse 9, twice in verse 10, once in verse 15, he says, behold. Here's what Isaiah says, behold your God. 27 times in the second half of Isaiah, chapter 40 through 66, he tells Israel, behold, look at me. Take a look at who I am. And the reason that he has to repeat it over and over again It's because they were paralyzed by the power of their problems. But what he wanted them to be was gripped by the greatness of their God. Do you ever find yourself in that situation? When you look around you at your circumstances and situations, do you ever feel paralyzed? You don't know that you're going to have, what what can I do in this circumstance? How can I ever change it? How could this ever turn out the way I would like it to? And you get paralyzed by the power of the problems that you're facing. And what God wants you to do this morning is stop and take a look at him. Stop looking around and start looking above and say, hey, I'm not paralyzed by the power of my problems. I want today, through the word of God, to be gripped by the greatness of my God. You can look around today in our culture, spiritually even. If you looked around at the world, the flesh, and the devil long enough, you would say, wow, I don't know how I'm going to live the Christian life faith. Look at all the things out there I could look at, the temptations, the things I could be involved in. And the world and the flesh and the devil, they seem powerful, don't they? They almost seem like they have the sway. And you look around and think that most Christians don't even do well at that. You look around at our culture today and the power that racism has and how it divides people and the power of secularism and nationalism where people care more today about being Republican and Democrat and about who's in the White House than they do about lost people. They care more about politics. They're more into that, reading more about that than they do the Word of God. And you look about and you say, look at all the things that have such powerful sway in people's lives. And see, if you're not careful, when you look around and you don't look above, you could think that God isn't powerful enough to make a difference in any of these situations. But I am here to tell you this morning that our God is not just some version of a superhero. He's not just stronger than Superman and Batman and any other person who's a superhero. But he's in a category all by himself. His power is the original power. His power is the power from which all others derive themselves from. Theologically, there's a term for it. It it says God is omnipotent. Omnipotent means all-powerful. That's who God is. And so this morning, he wants you to see in very, very much of detail how powerful he really is. And so we're going to go through it real quickly, a catalog 
of all the areas that God has power. He wanted Israel to see that in every area, in every category that they could possibly imagine or think of that was pertinent to their lives, God was the most powerful. And he starts off, if you'll look with me, in chapter 40 and verse 12. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? I'm sorry, verse 12, that was verse 13. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Now, everybody in the audience, ready? Put your hand like this. Okay, that's your palm. Okay, how much water do you think that you could do? I I almost brought a cup up here this morning. But I had a cup of water and I did it and I can't, believe it or not, I put a spoon of water in there and it started to leak out. You know what God says? He's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. I looked it up. Do you know how much water is on our planet? 912,500 cubic miles of water. 326 million, this is 326 million trillion gallons of water. And God says, you know, you can't do the spoon thing. I can do all that in the hollow of my hand. You, you and I can't even do one spoonful of water, but he can do millions and trillions of gallons and think it's nothing. He goes on, verse 12, he marked off the heavens with a span. Right now we know of 200, listen to this, 200 trillion galaxies that we know of in our universe. Each having minimally, minimally a billion stars and planets. So 200 trillion times a billion And that's what we know of right now. God says that I've marked off the heavens with a span. Now take your hand again, go like this. See this? The distance between here and here was a common measuring tool back in in the ancient Near East. And usually with the average hand, it was somewhere between seven and nine inches. You know what God says? Take everything in the universe, how big and huge and wide it is. God says, see right there in this space? God says, I can hold it all. I've seen LeBron James and Shaq who have gigantic hands. I mean, I had these little teeny fingers. They have these fingers that are like this, I think. And they palm it like it's an orange. You know, I can't palm a basketball. God can palm the world. Listen, God can palm the universe, he says. That's how big and how awesome. You ever sing that song a long time growing up? He holds the whole world in his hands. Well, it's literal. He can, he can, but he's not done. 40.12 says he's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. You ever try to move dirt? You ever try to move it? You, you get a bunch of dirt and you put it in a wheelbarrow and you try, you can't push all that much at a time and, and it's, it's really heavy. I mean, I've seen trucks come in, enormous trucks with fill dirt and it's heavy. And it takes a lot of power just to move it. God says, Take the, listen to this, the trillions upon trillions of of tons of earth and soil that is on this planet. And God says, I've gathered it up like dust in a measure. A measure is about what it would take to have an eight ounce cup. God says, you know what the whole entire world and all of its land and soil are to me? It's about like me picking up a cup and filling it up. Weighed the mountains, and then he goes on, the hills in a scale. I've been to the Rocky Mountains. I've been to the Alps. 
I've seen pictures of the Himalayas and the Andes and all the huge, enormous mountain ranges of the world. God says, when I put them on the scale, here's what he says, that they are like dust, fine dust that you could go. Here's how God is about all the mountain ranges put together. And he blows them off. And if that wasn't enough, let me have you skip down. God is not just the most powerful person in, in, in power and strength in the whole earth but the whole universe. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's what people are to him. He spreads them out like a tent who brings princes to nothing, the Bible says. And then he goes down a little bit later in verse 25. To whom will you compare to me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these things. He brings out their host, every star in the sky. He brings out their host by number. Remember, 200 trillion times a billion. And then he says this, and he calls them all by name. That God has a name for every single one of them. And he says, and because he is so strong in power... And he is so great in his might that not one, God knows if even one of them, out of all of them, would be missing. God says, I know it. So he has all power. He has all knowledge. And God says, see, there's no power. No matter where, anywhere on earth, anywhere in the universe, God says, I'm the most powerful person that you'll ever come across. But God says, let me bring it home now. I'm not just a God who's powerful way out there. Look at verse 15 says about the nations. Think about the superpowers of today, America, Russia, China, England. I mean, you could go on and on and list nations and their nuclear weapons and their powers and their prowess and all the things that they spout off about how great they are. And God says this in verse 15 of our text. Behold, again, look at this, he says. The nations are like a drop from a bucket. You know how much power they have compared to his? It'd be like trying to solve the national debt, which I looked on the internet this morning, is they're approaching $27 trillion and thinking that you're making a difference when you put $100 in there. $100 is nothing when you put it into a $27 trillion. God says that's how powerful the nations are compared to me. And he would say this in Israel's life, including Babylon, including Babylon. There's nothing compared. All, in fact, he says it in verse 17. Take a look at it. All the nations are as nothing before him. Now, now notice, he doesn't say they are nothing to him. It matters to him because he loves people, people from all the nations. That's who our God is. But it says before him, in other words, in his presence, compared to who he is, they are absolute. In fact, he goes on. Not just nothing. It says they are less than nothing And they are emptiness. I mean, they don't even register on God's power meter. That's how powerful and strong he is. So Israel, he would say, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be, look at, see them. And now look at me, he says. They are less than nothing compared to who I am. But God, again, he's not done yet. He talks about false gods. In verses 18 through 21. And he calls them images. And they are made of gold and silver. They are created by man's hands. And here's what he says. You know what all the other nations who boast that their gods are the ones that are stronger? He says they're not even real. They're not even gods compared to me. 
verses 23 and 24, he's going to go another step that Israel needs to hear. Rulers, princes. He says to them, the princes, he's able to bring them to nothing. Rulers to him are as emptiness. Let me put it in our 21st century vernacular in America. That means that, that the person in the White House in the Oval Office is nothing to God. His power is emptiness, he says. The seat of power in the world is not Washington. It's the New Jerusalem. It's where God resides. And you have to come to the conclusion, after God taking his measurements and going through all these categories, here's what God wants Israel to know, and here's what he brought you here this morning to know. God measures things, but he himself cannot be measured. You can't take God's measurements. You know why? Because his power is transcendent. It's infinite. It's beyond anything that we can fully comprehend or understand. It is greater than anyone or anything that we're ever going to face. And at times, isn't it hard, even hearing these statistics this morning, it's hard for us to grasp that kind of power. We are only able to compare things with the stuff that we know. Do you remember the movie, kids' movie, Monsters, Inc.? Remember that? Remember little Boo the girl? And Sully the gigantic monster comes into her room. And at first she's kind of scared at him. But once she gets to like him, you know what she, what does she call him? Kitty. Well, he's not a kitty. He's enormous. He's a monster. But she has nothing else to use as comparison. And so since he's hairy, she says kitty. You ever seen kids when they're just about two, maybe three years old? And you get a dog and they go, horsey. Why do they do that? You know what? Because they don't have anything to compare to. All they know is a horse, right? And so we do the same thing. We just more, more sophisticated as we get older, right? We say, well, that's, that problem is big as the Grand Canyon. Well, why, why do we say the Grand Canyon? Because we know it's big. It's what, we re- it's what we know. It's what we relate. We've seen the Grand Canyon, and it's big, right? And, and some people say, wow, that, she is so smart. Oh, she's as smart as Einstein, Why do we say that? Well, because he's probably in our minds the smartest person that we know about, right? You're a genius. That's what we say. Why? Because that's what we know. So we make comparisons what we know. But Isaiah wants you to know you can't do that with God. When it comes to his knowledge, when it comes to his power, you can't say, and God is like, because he's not. There is no comparison to how big he is. There is nothing that we know of that compared to his power and strength. He has no rivals. He has no equals. Okay, Pastor Walker, you can stop. I get it. I get it. I get how powerful he is. So what's the deal? Here's what, what if I told you this morning that that creator God with infinite God power is willing to give his power to you? Remember I told you at the beginning, if I could give you a superpower, what if God could give you some of his God power? What if that God was willing to help you in your difficulties with his incomparable strength? What if God's infinite power was not only transcendent beyond what you can imagine or think, but what if his infinite power was imminent, meaning it wasn't just for creating stars and moons and planets, 
What if it was for you? What if primarily the reason why he has that power in this world is to change your life? That's what Isaiah comes to the conclusion of. That's what he wants Israel to see. That this creator God who makes all these things, creates all these things, and everything you can see, and it's infinite, it blows your mind, it boggles your think, right? That that very God and all of his power wants to step into your life with it. Verse 27 in our text reads this. Why do you say, O Jacob... See, he wants to ask you this morning, why are you thinking that God doesn't care about what you're going through? Why do you think that God doesn't see, that your ways are hidden from him? Why do you think he doesn't care about your marriage or your family or your financial situation or the, 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 the defeat you're experiencing in your Christian life? Why, why do you think God doesn't care? He says, why, and speak, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Why do you think God is indifferent? Have you not known, rhetorical question, have you not heard what? That this infinite, powerful God, the Lord, is the everlasting God. Transcendent, right? The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. He says, You know that transcendent God that you can't figure out, that you can't and begin to understand how much he knows and what he can do? That's the God who wants to give you his power. Notice verse 29, because 29 through 31 is the key to the chapter. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. For even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. He says, even the best of human beings, the strong ones, the young ones that seem like they can have energy, boundless energy and strength and power, they eventually wear out. And and in our text, three times, three times, he uses faint and grow weary, 28, 30, and 31. And the first comparison is this, God never faints, he never grows weary, but then he says this, but you do. Even the best of people, they grow weary, they get tired, they faint, they get exhausted, they can't go on anymore. He says, I want you to know that's your limitation, but it isn't God's limitation. And here's the catch. To get God's superpower, you have to admit that you are super weak. Do you see that? You have to admit that you're super weak. So instead of starting my sermon with, I, I started with, you, what superpower would you like? But what if I asked you this at the beginning? What super weakness would you like to have? And you would have said, uh, none. Nobody wants a super weakness. Can you imagine we have, can you imagine out there on Marvel Comics, weak woman. That's probably not going to do it, is it? You know, we can have something like no powerless man. I'm just making this up. We, we don't have those. Why? Because nobody wants to be weak. Everybody wants to be self-sufficient. Everyone wants to be self-reliant. Pastor Walker, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to have situations that I can't handle. I want to be in charge. I want to have control. And so it blows our mind when we get cancer. When we lose our job and we're unemployed. 
We're single and we want to be married and it just doesn't happen. Childless, we want to have children and we've tried and years pass. Nothing. And we try to go to doctor after doctor and still nothing. And then we try to fight all those circumstances that we can't change on our own, although we think we can, and we try to, and it builds up and makes anxiety, and and we succumb often to long-term depression because of it, and our relationships begin to fold. And the people that we love the best, we begin to treat the worst. Why? Why? Because we're not able to admit that to have God's superpower, we have to admit we're super weak. Samson... Was, no un, was like everybody else. But God gave him a superpower, and his superpower was obedience, and his hair was the symbol of it. And he thought for the longest time, and he, and he showed that he could have power that nobody else had. He could defeat hundreds of soldiers from the enemy at a time. He could pick up the gates and walk away with them. But he fooled around with sin in his life and thought that he could be strong, hear me, apart from God. And so eventually he lets Delilah cut his hair. And maybe that's why God brought you here. Who's cutting your hair? Who's taking the power? And and you know what the sad thing was? Is that when she cut his hair and he lost his power, the Bible's very clear. He didn't know it happened. So he got up to fight the Philistines like he always had, and they plucked out his eyes. You know why? Because he thought he could be strong on his own, and he didn't need God anymore. Isaiah lets you know, you have problems. You're weak. See what marks you? Faint and growing weary. He says, but this is not what marks God, he says. God's power is personal. He wants to step into your fainting. He wants to step into your weariness. And he wants you to share his power in the things that you face. You'd say, well, God wants, my, wants to give me his power. And I would say, yes, he does. If you let him. He said, if, he, if I let him? Are you serious? Who would be a fool not to, right? I mean, of course I'll let him. Don't be so quick. You hear what the text says? He gives his power to those who have No might. No might. You have to come to God and say, God, I don't have the ability, I don't have the power to do any of the things you want me to do. I can't overcome this. I can't live in victory over it. I'll never face this and be uh, triumphant. I never will. I'm powerless. Asa, 2 Chronicles 14, 11, had to come to that realization He's up against an army, and here's what he says. Lord, there is none like you to help. No comparison. Between the mighty and the weak. He says, God, listen, when people ask for your help, it doesn't matter if they have might and power and strength. A lot of chariots, a lot of soldiers, a lot of weapons. Or they're weak and they don't have anything. And basically saying, God, but we're the weak ones. I mean, look what we're facing. We cannot win this on our own. So you know what Ace is saying? Lord, we are weak. Can you say that? Can you? Because if you could, you'd probably get counseling uh, with one of the pastors about your marriage. But there are a lot of guys I know, they will not go to a counselor. You know why? They're too strong. Too strong. They can't admit 
that they have a problem, that they have a weakness. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, similar situation as Asa. Here's what he says to God in his prayer. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us, and we don't know what to do. Have you ever said that? God, look at the circumstances, and you throw your hands up in the air. What in the world? I, I don't know how I can even do this. But Jehoshaphat doesn't end there. Here's what he says. But our eyes are on you. He didn't look around. He looked above. You know why? Because he was willing to admit, I'm powerless, but you are powerful. That's why they won. That's why they got the victory. Can I contrast that a moment with another king in 2 Chronicles? In fact, strangely enough, ironically, one of their greatest in Israel, Uzziah, he did all kinds of reforms spiritually. He built all kinds of fortresses. And on every materially, militarily, spiritually, he was a great king. But 2 Chronicles 26, 15, and 16 says this. And his fame spread far. I mean, everybody knew. He was a household name. He was super popular. For he was marvelously helped, idea by God, till, what does it say? Till he was strong. For when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Now, so he was great as long as he depended on God. But there came a day when he looked around and said, oh, look at all the things I've done. Look at all the things I've got. It must have been me. And he became too strong. And that strong strength led to his destruction. The Apostle Paul would say it this way. My, God says to Paul with a thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made complete in weakness. You know what God loves? He doesn't want you to come to him with your hands full and say, God, here's my power. What can you do with it? He wants you to say, no, come with your hands empty and say, I have no power. And God says, then I'll complete your weakness with my power and give you mine. Paul goes on to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We need a theology of weakness. Because when we are strong, we're really weak. It's not until we become weak that we can become really strong. And so let me ask you, are you too strong for God's help? I don't know, Pastor Walker. Maybe I am. Let me give you some signs that you are self-strong instead of God-strong. Little to no prayer. If you think that in the morning that you can read a small devotional that would be about this long and pray to God for 30 seconds to admit it and think that you're going to make it and live for him, you're incredibly mistaken. Little or no prayer is powerlessness in your life. And I'm not legalizing it to say, hey, go from 30 seconds to 30 minutes. I'm not going to tell you, but let me tell you this. When you have a love relationship with God, you're going to want to talk with him. And when you need him and you're reliant on him and you're dependent on him, it won't be trying to just salve your religious conscience and do your religious duty and give a couple prayers so that you can say you did it that day. No, it'll be a relationship that has meaning in your life. But little or no prayer means you're too strong. Little or no Bible meditation 
When you want to get up in the morning and spend five minutes with God, you wouldn't do that with anybody else who has a meaning. You wouldn't do that with your wife. Hey, honey, I got five minutes with you today. Make the most of it. You think your kids are going to turn out when you give them five minutes? But we do to God. And that's why we don't have the power to live out his word. And we give up on it and we stop reading it eventually because we don't think it makes a difference. You know why? Because we're too strong. We make decisions. We're Christians and we make decisions that are completely apart from God and his word. Who we're going to date, who we're going to marry, where we're going to go. We don't make decisions with God. We make them apart from God. And then ask him to bless things that we haven't even included him in. If you're making decisions about the most crucial things or any things in your life, and you don't really look to his word, you don't ask for counsel, you don't go to God at all, you're way, way too strong. If you're a control person, you have to take things into your own hands, and you're going to work in the situation, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to have this, and you're going to... And see, if you trust in anyone else more than God, you're too strong. And when it comes down to it, here's the bottom line. You know how you know when you're too strong? is when you need God's power, but you don't need God. <laughs> See? And we do it all the time. We want God's power, but we don't want his wisdom. God, do this for me, but I don't want to follow your word. We want God's power, but we don't want his holiness. God, I want you to give me the power to have a relationship and get married, but I don't want to live holy. I don't want to be moral in it. I don't want to follow your standards. I want God's power, but I don't want his priorities. God, help me out of this financial situation, but I don't want to put you first. I'm not committed to the ministry. I'm not committed to the church. I'm not involved. You know why? We want his power to help us out, but we don't want to be of help to him and to the things that he's interested in. We want his power, but we don't want his love. God, help me, but then we don't turn around and sacrifice and serve other people. We want his power, but we don't want his patience. God, be powerful, come into my life, get me out of this mess I've made with my sinful choices. But when it comes to other people, I'm not patient with you. God, I want you to forgive me. I don't, I'm not interested in forgiving others. I'm holding a grudge. I'm bitter about it. See, that, that's our problem. We're too strong. And God says, I can't give you my power. But there's a category of people who do get his power. And in contrast, verse 31 reads, but, see it? There's a bunch of people who faint and get weary and exhausted and fall down because they try to do it in their own power and their own strength every single day. And can I tell you this? If you've never found this out yet, you will. To live without God's power in your life on every level is completely exhausting. To try to be the kind of husband you need to be or the wife you need to be or the teenager you need to be or the Christian that you need to be, always trying to do it in your own performance and your own strength is exhausting. And there's no joy whatsoever in it. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. See, how do I know, Pastor Walker, when I'm not too strong Here's how you know when you wait on the Lord. We're not good at waiting, are we? How many times in the last few weeks have you said, I can't wait to the day when I don't have to wear a mask? I can't wait till I can come to social church and sit wherever I want. I can't wait for our governor to say there's a vaccine 
so there's no more restrictions. We're really not good at waiting. In fact, let me go further. Most of the time we think waiting is a waste of time. Can I say honestly, we desperately need to learn to wait on God. God, I want you to intervene now. Hey, a month goes by and I still have the problem. We're not interested in that. We're not interested in God waiting and teaching us lessons. And the old pastor says, you know, a lot of things happen in suffering that you couldn't learn any other way. Not interested. Because you know what waiting is? Waiting is living in the tension between what God has said and what God will do. We know his word. We know what it says. We understand the promises. But we're not good at him waiting for him to do what he said. Are you there this morning? Pastor Walker, waiting always feels like weakness. I'm not really doing it. I'm just waiting for God to come in and do it. Will he do it? Yes. And I purposely didn't read the beginning verses, but I want to read them now. What kind of power does God have? Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. What kind of might? I mean, come on, God. Here's your chance. That celestial star-making power. Let me see it. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. I mean, God's got the powerful arm, doesn't he? He has got the strong arm. But do you know what the strong arm looks like with those who wait for him? Wait for him to come through and his timing and his way for his glory? It's a shepherd's arm. What does that look like? Well, he gathers his lambs, circle it in your Bible, in his arms. You know the arms, powerful arms that died on the cross, the powerful arms that made the universe? He picks up little lambs and sheep like us and he carries us in his arms. That's how tender God's power can be. He carries them in his bosom. So he doesn't just pick them up with his strong arms, but he brings them close to his chest and holds them tight because he wants them to know that how powerful are you? Well, my power is personal. And I care about what you're going through this morning and all the things that you're facing and how you feel so overwhelmed by it. He says, let me pick you up. I'll carry you when you don't think you can go on. I'm right there next to you when you think that it's not going to happen for you. And then he says this, watch, and he will gently lead. It's not just I have this force and I'm going to bully and knock everybody out. No, God says, I'll carry you. And, And I'm gently, come on, this way. Come this way now. No, 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 don't go over there. And God gently wants to lead you in his power. And how specifically? And he says, gently lead those who are with young. I mean, it's a very specific need of people who really need specific care. And God says, I've got it. You see all that power I had to do all these other things out there? I want to bring that to bear. See, when you don't think, when, you, when you're growing weary and you're fainting and you can't go on, God says, I'll pick you up. I'll lead you. I'll keep you away from that fire and that boulder. I'll walk with you. So Isaiah says this in chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits, listen to this. He waits to be gracious to you. You know, God wants to come into your life and he wants to do some amazing things and show you how though you're growing weary and you're fainting and you're exhausted, that he'll give you strength. 
He wants to be gracious to you, but he's having a hard time because you're not waiting on him. You're turning everywhere else but to him. And the verse says, therefore the Lord wants to be, he, he waits to be gracious to you and therefore exalts himself showing mercy to you. He wants to grant you mercy. Watch though, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Let God vindicate you. Don't run ahead of him. Don't run ahead and dictate to God when he has to show up and what he has to do and how he has to do it. That's all that's happening in our culture right now. It's time for us as Christians that we learn this. We're going to wait on God. I know what he said, but he hasn't done it yet. But I believe he will. And in the interval time, I'm going to trust him. And when we're waiting on him like that, here's what the transaction will look like. He says that those who wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. The Hebrew word for renew means to substitute. It means to replace And here's the idea. God wants you and your weakness, when you don't think you can go on anymore and you can't handle this, he wants you to come to him and here's what he wants to do. He wants to exchange your powerlessness for his powerfulness. You see that? He wants to substitute it. He wants you to stop depending on yours and start depending on his. And so the other contrast with the weary, faint words are this. Verse 28 says, see, he doesn't grow faint and weary. And then verse 31, here's the promise. And you don't have to either. If you wait on him and he gives you his strength, you can be like him. Verse 31 says this. They'll renew their strength. And what will that look? They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They will run, what, what's the words? And not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's what they were doing in verse 28. I mean, verse 30, I'm sorry. But now they're not doing it. Now they're like him. And what's the difference between just being simply human and simply having God's strength? What's the difference? Well, they waited on him. That's the difference. And God says, I'll give you eagle strength. You know what eagle strength is? Strength to Fly over your problems. Soar above them. And he says, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you've got to go right through the middle of your problems, and you've got to just fight through them. And he says, and when that happens, and you're running through them, I'll give you strength for that. And when you have to walk through them, and they take longer to get through, and they're harder, and you suffer more, he says, I'll make sure you don't faint then either. So God says, you need to go over, you need to go through your problems. He says, I've got the strength for it all. Wait for me. Wait for me. The battle of Helm's Deep and the Lord of the Rings. Never had that place been taken, but the orcs and the hordes of Mordor had come, 10,000, and they were losing, and the whole thing was about to go. But, but as they're fighting and about to be overrun, they remember the words of Gandalf On the light of the morning of the fifth day, look to the mountain, I will be there. And at their last moment, when they're about to be overrun, a light shines at the top, I love this scene, the light shines at the top of the valley, and on a white steed, Gandalf is there, and his horse raises up, and behind him come thousands and thousands from Rohan. And they storm down the hill, and they win the day. It looked like it was impossible. It looked like they weren't going to make it. And they were exhausted. They, had fought. they couldn't fight anymore. But they waited for Gandalf. 
and he kept his word. He showed up, and the victory was won. Can I tell you, that's what God wants you to see in him. He's there, and he will keep his word and his promises to you. And what he has said to you, he will perform. If you'll wait for him, let me close with one last Isaiah verse. Isaiah 64, 4 says, from of old. In other words, as far back as I can think, no one has ever heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen. No one's ever heard this, no one has ever seen this. What? Never seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. There is no other God like that. And believe it or not, he's your God. Will you wait on him? Let's pray. Father, I'll before you today. And there are some here this morning or watching over the live stream. And as Christians, I, I believe some have come to this conclusion. They're too strong because they're depending on themselves. Father, I pray today that we would repent of our self-strength and start coming to you for God's strength. That we would take your word and we would have the faith to trust it and live in the tension between when you say things and when you do things to know that you are in charge and you are in control and that we believe that if we wait on you, God, ultimately you will take care of these things. We are weak people. We are. We have no strength. We are powerless. And that's why we come to you today. Would you, sell, would you show yourself strong in our weakness? Please, Lord, so you get the glory. So people will know that when you do this at Faith Baptist Church, Mosaic Baptist Church, and Faith Christian School, when you do this in the lives of your people, that it wasn't us, it was you. Not unto us, O oh Lord. Not unto us. But unto your name give glory. Thank you, God, for being our mighty fortress. Bless us now as we sing about that. In your precious name we ask it. Amen.